0: welcome to the NC4 podcast we exist to know Christ and make him known discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's word this week we begin delving into studying what we call Jesus masterclass that's the Sermon on the Mount what we want to ask ourselves are some of the biggest questions what's the best way to live what truly is the good life right and, and how can I live it? If you walked into uh, the, the sanctuary a little bit earlier uh, this morning, you were greeted with a, a duet rendition of Tony Bennett's The Good Life. Sung. And it's, it's a duet with Tony Bennett and, and Billy Joel. So it's an old guy and a Gen Xer asking the question, what's the good life? It was originally written, a lot of, a lot of people don't know this, by, by Sasha Distel, in in France in 1962, thereabouts. So it's old. And it it was called La Belle Vie. That was the name of it. And it's been in movies over the decades. It's been covered. That song's been covered, The Good Life, by countless artists like Lady Gaga. I don't know. Maybe Kanye even did it. Uh, (laughs) It's popular for a reason. It it strikes a chord. What is The Good Life? How do we live it? I didn't have it played because I wanted to be campy and sacrilegious. I had it played... Because it's cross-cultural. I mean, the good life is a cross-cultural question. It's also an intergenerational question, the good life, right? Here's a thought. Now watch this. If I use the word smart, okay, if I use the word smart, well-informed, brilliant, intelligent, what name besides mine immediately comes to mind? (laughs) Everybody's pointing to themselves. (laughs) All right, they tend to be, in truth, uh, the kind of people we want to instruct us. But for the majority of people, including Christians, a name we don't immediately associate with smart, well-informed, brilliant, uh, intelligent—one of the names we don't associate with those words—is Jesus of Nazareth. Huh? I mean, let's be honest, right? We tend to think about people like uh, Bill Gates or or. Uh, We tend to think about TED talk people or the latest guru with a PhD after his name, people who walk around like Dr. Phil saying, so how's that working out for you? You know, like that kind of thing. So that's really interesting to me because what this means is even though Jesus is arguably the most influential person in all of history, we've been conditioned to think of him as good, Because he's good, yeah. We've been conditioned to think of him as holy, whatever that means to people. That's a slippery term. But not intelligent or a source of knowledge about the practical things of life. So here's another question. Could Jesus really be divine and yet dumb? Huh? How could Jesus have the kind of impact on history that he did and yet be incompetent to inform us every matter of life? huh? If we really believe he was who he said he was, then we have to realize that he's not only good and holy, but brilliantly, brilliantly intelligent. Jesus was the smartest person in history. And that's the reason we turn to him as students in the school of life, right? Jesus is completely competent. Would you agree with me? He's competent and trustworthy, Yeah, amen. Amen. He would have his own talk show today. Yeah. (laughs) So my first point is that following Jesus is not just the right thing to do. It's not just the moral thing to do. It's not just the ethical thing to do. It's the smart thing to do, yeah? It's the smartest thing to do. A brilliant mathematician, philosopher, some of you heard of him, probably most of us heard the name, Blaise Pascal, you know, uh, theologian, mathematician, philosopher, said this, following Jesus isn't only the smartest thing to do, it's the most practical thing to do. Isn't that interesting? So here, I just want to, if he possesses all of this, I want to go back to this master class that we introduced last week, called the Sermon on the Mount. And I just want to wanna go to what's called the Beatitudes. We so see, we're going to talk about becoming attitudes here, all right, this morning. And uh, by the way, the, the title of this message is How to Be Hashtag Blessed, okay? And so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, to the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I want to just kind of pick, pick out a couple things to say, and then we're going to kind of unpack that and ask... You know, what does it mean to live the good life, all right? So let's read, beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples, that's us, came to him, yeah? And he's speaking to his disciples here. He wants this message to go somewhere, all right? And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, verse 3, blessed. Now, this word blessed is interesting because we're going to hear blessed, 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 blessed. Uh, But the word isn't the usual word for blessing. It's it's a word in Greek that means fortunate. It means well off. It means satisfied. There's a scholar by the name of R.T. France who wrote a big commentary on this, and and he says, you know, the the best phrase that I could come up with to describe this word for blessing is an Australian one, where they say, good on you, good on you. You know, good on you, good on you, who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's that kind of thing. So verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now in Luke's gospel, it's even more stark. He says, Luke says, blessed are the poor. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. How counterintuitive is that? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven verse 11 Blessed are those or blessed are you blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my on my account on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you you know what I'm getting something right now I want to stop just for a second Amy Barrett has been nominated for a Supreme Court judge. I really work at not being partisan in the pulpit because I pretty much believe on both sides of the aisle everybody has a personality disorder of some kind. <laughs> I'm not just joking. <laughs> and so I want to pray for her. I mean, it's God's, it's God's business as to whether she gets into the Supreme Court. But she's our sister in the faith, yeah? She belongs to a people of praise community, a community I'm really familiar with, which is a Catholic charismatic community been around for 40 years in South Bend. As a matter of fact, in an indirect way, consequent to that community that I came to faith and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Here's my heart on this, and it just kind of hit me when I was reading this. Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. On my account, accused falsely on my account. I mean... This woman, who's a sister, right, is going to have to walk through the devil's living room over the next 30 days, yeah? I mean, irrespective of her politics, she's going to have to walk through the devil's living room, and already she's being vilified because she believes in Jesus and because she's filled with the Holy Ghost. So I just want to pray for her protection. I think that's a safe prayer, yeah? I just want to ask God to protect her and her family, whichever way this thing goes, yeah? You know, it's really interesting, yesterday a whole group of African-American Pentecostal leaders, pastors, bishops, I mean from different denominations in African-American Pentecostalism uh, wrote a paper supporting her faith. The way I read it was not necessarily her nomination or not necessarily her uh, ratification, but her faith. She should not be reviled for her faith, and I really appreciated that because whatever else, she kind of defies the norm of politics these days. So can we pray? Father, we just thank you for our sister, for her hubby and all those kids. Lord, even as you sent Daniel into the furnace, God, uh, we just pray as she goes through the furnace, Lord, that she would not only survive, but come through unscathed by the fire, Lord, God. We pray that she wouldn't even smell like smoke. Lord, either way, whatever, whatever politics is involved here, whatever, however it all goes, we put our hearts together as the body of Christ and we pray for our sister and we ask that you protect her and protect her family. In Jesus Christ's name, amen and amen. 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 Good, all right. Verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. What I wanna say about that is that salt affects and influences everything that it touches, huh? Yeah, and if you put salt in your stew, you notice that it's there, huh, right? But if salt has lost its taste, Jesus says, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14, and now we wanna talk about salt losing its savor this morning, right? Verse 14, you are the light of the world, A city set on a hill can't be hidden. Verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Thank you for your word, Lord. Now, I understand that many of us are familiar with, with kind of this list of blessings, or kind of it's kind of like uh, there are adages in, in in Western culture. We name novels after them. The meek shall inherit the earth. All that kind of the inheritance of the earth. Well, what should fly out at us? Watch this: is the contrast, the incredible contrast between what Jesus describes as the good life, and what our culture opts for as the good life, huh? And no matter what, listen. Madison Avenue and the media right now are selling you the good life. Do you realize that? All the time, you can't escape it. Just a glance at a billboard, right? So different versions of the good life are constantly being lived out before us. And here are some options you, you, you can come across when you notice what's being sold to us. What, what's the essence of a good life? So for some, it, the answer to a good life is hedonism which paints the good life as centered around indulgence, right, pleasure-seeking, experiences, adventure, partying, and fun, huh? And, and you know, I want to say I have had some experience with this particular value. My first year of college, I, I was like a carpe diem guy. You know what a carpe diem is? It's like, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. And so, that, like, my first year of college, I was, like, into that, right? Here's the flaw in eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. I find this, I found this out personally. Tomorrow you don't die. Sometimes you wish you were dead, but tomorrow you don't die, right? So, for others, the answer is achievement. Achievement, uh, which paints the good life as gaining wealth, status, intelligence, learning, degrees, prestige, influence, through hard work. This is not necessarily bad stuff. I want my kids to go after, I want them to work hard, right? And for others, the answer is beauty. Beauty is a really slippery word, but anyway, the answer is beauty, which paints the good life as as youthfulness, health, fashion, good looks. I never really shot for this one. Popularity, fame, N- a nutrition, nutrition, working out, perfectly maintained social media profiles, images, everything. That's the good life for some people. Uh, 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 and then, oh, then there's the popularity growing right now of activism, which paints the good life as valuing social causes, not necessarily a bad thing. Political action, equality, rights over and against uh, over and against any of the other things that we're talking about this morning. You you get that. That's kind of going on right now. That's not bad, but here's what's challenging. This is what's challenging. The kind of people Jesus calls blessed don't look like what the culture calls blessed. Huh? The kind of people Jesus calls happy don't look like what the culture calls happy. The kind of people that Jesus calls satisfies doesn't look like what our culture calls satisfied. The things that Jesus mentions are all things that people in his day would describe as a person unblessed. Think of the ruthlessness and the the cruelty of the Roman Empire, Roman world. These people were the opposite that Jesus is describing are blessed. Uh, You see, every society has people that it implicitly treats as unblessed. If we were to put it in today's language, it might be something like this. Unblessed are the unattractive. Unblessed are the unemployed. Unblessed are the homeless, the teenage mothers, the, the mentally ill. And you can fill in the blanks. We all have got blanks to fill in. Unblessed are the addicted. And they would just, like us today, say, no, 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 blessed are the rich. Blessed are the, the rock stars, Yeah. Blessed are the, the happy Blessed are the assertive. Blessed are those with lots to eat and drink. And blessed are those who give people just what they deserve. Right? The ones who slice others to pieces under the banner of telling it like it is. Blessed are those guys, yeah. The worldly experienced one, bless them. Bless the winners. Bless the ones that are popular and respected. And surely that's what living the good life looks like. Huh? You get the contrast. It's kind of interesting, yeah. See, but here's the deal. In Jesus' society, the unblessables of the world become hashtag blessed. Can I say that again? In Jesus' society, the unblessables of the world become hashtag blessed. Uh, Jesus' eyes were constantly probing the world for kingdom potential. You know, I, I remember the story of Reinhard Bunke. How many have heard of Reinhard Bunke, the great German evangelist the last century? Probably led more people to Christ than any individual ever, you know, directly in history as an evangelist. and Brilliant German evangelist was pulling into one of the nations in, in West Africa. I, I I don't remember which nation it was, but it was the first time that he was landing. Some of his intercessors came to him and said, can you feel the oppression? Can you feel uh, the enemy here? Can you feel the, the influence of the witch doctors? And Bunky said, all I feel is the fire of the Holy Ghost. And all I, see, all I see is a field that's ripe for the harvest. Whoa. See, that's the difference between the way Jesus sees and the way we see, Yeah. It's that way. So, Mark 6, when Jesus went ashore he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them. He says he felt compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. That's our job. Huh? That's our job. Not just in what we say, but what we do. But more than that, who we are becoming. And that's what I want to talk about this morning as we uh, clothes. Who are we becoming? So this is powerful stuff. What Jesus sees in these people that he calls blessed is shaped by what Jesus values. Do we value the same thing? So what did Jesus value? Well, What he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount and it's an example in his life that above everything else the most valuable thing the most valuable thing we can aspire to is to be part of the kingdom of God. Huh? I mean really a part of the kingdom of God. So, so, if there is a God, then that would be the definition of the most valuable possible thing. And connection to him is the second most valuable thing. If you're part of the kingdom of God, get this, so no matter your station in life, you are blessed beyond any circumstance of life. Huh? No matter what is in your bank account or your background, no matter how long it's been since you've been to the gym, you're blessed. (laughs) Yeah. No matter how you you feel, no matter how others feel about you, you're truly, truly blessed. C.S. Lewis has this great story in God in the Dark. Anybody have ever read a great series of essays, God in the Dark? And he talks about when he first became a Christian, an Oxford Don, published, well-known in the academic world, and he, and he walks into a, a, a rural church, that's his church outside of Oxford in England, and this farmer comes in with poop all over his boots and stuff like that, and sits down next to him and he says, and you know, the smell's kind of wafting up, and while that's all going on, C.S. Lewis, who's a aficionado of great music and so forth, says the hymns are just bad songs, you know bad songs with biblical lyrics. And he's complaining. He's, all his complaints are working out in his, his mind and his heart. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit hits him and says, the guy sitting next to you has more in common with me than you could ever imagine. I mean, whoa, what do we see? You know, what do we see? See, the kingdom of God gives us a foundation for living that nothing else can. It it gives us purpose even through suffering. So watch. If I base my life around pleasure, the strange thing is I end up becoming unable to feel pleasure anymore. And I have to up the game, yeah? Yeah, in other words, I need to, to get higher. I need to do other stuff to eradicate the numbness. If I base my life around achievements, well, what happens if I fail? If my core value is achieving, yeah? Or if if I try to base my life on so, only on social rights and justice, as good as it is, I'll end up burned out because evil and suffering will never be ultimately addressed until the full consummation of the kingdom of God and the coming of the king. Which is not an excuse not to be involved in social justice, but we have to realize that we are not the answer to the world's problems. Jesus Christ is. Are you there? The message that Jesus went around proclaiming is that the kingdom of God, hear me, because I feel like during this COVID thing, the church has lost this. The kingdom of God is here right now. The kingdom of God is here right now. When you see the value of life in the kingdom of God, it transforms you, it Reorients your goals and it shapes you into a completely different kind of person. It helps you to become something. It helps you to become something. Who are we becoming? That's my question this morning. Right now, we're all becoming something. Well, who is it that we are becoming? What you value determines the kind of person you become. Think about that. What you really, now I'm talking about really value, not what you say you value, not what you think you should value, but what you really value in your life determines who you become. I assume we all want to become the greatest person we can be, but first of all we have to see the value of the change that we want and then we need to intentionally decide how to allow God to help us become that person. During this COVID thing, one, one of the things that's disappointed me about the church is is that the, the church has ceased to ask what it's becoming. It's ceased to ask what it's becoming. It's not that it's not becoming something, and I'm talking not about this church. I'm talking about evangelicals, right? Uh, it's, it's ceased to ask what it's becoming as we get involved in the rancor of the politics, as we get involved in the rancor of of how to deal with authority, all those kinds of things. And, and I've just, I just have prayed and prayed and prayed and said, God, will you help me get through this so that at the end of it I'm not disappointed in myself. But I'm getting disappointed in, in the church at large, you know. Here, hear me on this. There are people running around all over the place, Christians, who are mad, really mad at sinners for being sinners. Are you there? See, Jesus never got mad at sinners for being sinners. He, you notice that in the Gospels? He got mad at people who were mad at sinners for being sinners. And I'm thinking, I can't get mad. I can't get angry at sinners for being sinners. I can get angry at people who get angry for sinners being sinners. And that's called hypocrisy, you know. Truth is, right now, I and everyone who is hearing my voice this morning is becoming someone whether we like it or not. And the only question is, who am I becoming? Jesus is teaching here that it's actually possible for us to become like him, yeah? And the only way to do it is to become his student, to learn from him so that we can become like him. C.S. Lewis said that God is not ultimately interested in getting us to do stuff. Can I say that again? God is not ultimately interested in getting us to do stuff. God is interested in making us into certain kinds of people. That kind of person is called a disciple. So remember, disciples are salt and light. Whatever we touch, we should influence, right? Whether it's with our actions, whether it's with our words, or whether it's with who we're becoming, you know. Remember, disciples are salt, and light so Jesus apprentices become the kind of people who both embody the good life within and cultivate it in the world around them that's the way this things work these things work if we want this for ourselves okay if we want this for ourselves there are two sides of this see his part and our part and it all starts with him If we want this for ourselves, there's two sides to the question. His part and our part. And it all starts with him. Jesus does what we could never do and make us part of God's family. huh? You see, you can't think, you can't act, or you can't feel yourself into a family. Did you notice that? Huh? It's impossible. There's a great French essayist, Marcel was his name, and he wrote a very famous essay on family. And he talked about family. I'm talking about natural families. Every natural family is a mystery. And if you're not part of that family, you, you know, if you're not part of that family, ultimately you can't really understand it because it's a mystery to be involved in it. Are you there? It's that way. So you can't, you can't think or act or feel yourself into a family. Only birth or adoption or marriage can do that because those things are like sacramentals. So Jesus says that in him... We can be born again into this family that we have here, yeah? And we become children of God. And in Him, we become the bridge of Jesus Christ Himself to a lost world, yeah? So, just for a moment, I don't know if you're watching online and you're here and you've never become family. This is the fam, man. And that can happen like that. So, I'm gonna ask us all to just bow our heads and close our eyes. and If you've never uh, really known that you've been born again, that you're, you're a new creation in God, it's just this simple. If you can pray a few words that will change your life forever. I would ask all of us to repeat after me as a reminder of the commitments we've made. But if you've never done this and you're online or here, pray this few words to change our family affiliation. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. Now I turn from anything that I know is wrong. I thank you you died for me so I be forgiven, set free. Thank you for that forgiveness. I receive your Holy Spirit now in your name. Be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But the second part of what we can do is this. Once we're in the family, our responsibility is to grow up into who we're supposed to be in the family. Okay? So here's some homework. I don't know if most of you know it, but there's all, there's all this stuff from other uh, streams of the body of Christ because Yom Kippur and the high holy days and all that stuff about repentance going on. There was a big deal in Washington yesterday and And as I was thinking about that, the problem I have is when when I say, okay, we're going to repent, most of us think of, you know, uh, most of us think of stuff that we've done in the past that we've we've either asked for forgiveness for or we should. And if you should ask for forgiveness, well, then do that, but that's not what I'm talking about, okay? Here's some homework. I think it would be good for us, especially during this season of turmoil, to do a really honest values inventory and pray that God would reveal to us what we really value as to opposed to what we say we value or we might think or hope we value, but really ask God like, what is it, how, in the way that I'm conducting my life in terms of who I am becoming, what am I indicating that my values are to live the good life, huh, you know? Uh, am, I, uh, am I walking through life bitter about my marriage? Am I walking through my life bitter about one of my kids? Am I walking through my life... I, I mean, where, w- ask yourselves questions like, where is what sourness taking you? Do you know those kinds of things? And, and so I, I don't want us to repent of stuff that we did. I mean, you can do that. That's all in the Bible. Do that stuff. What about repenting? for values that are taking us to somebody, take, that are taking us to become somebody we don't want to become. Huh? And then, <laughs> I mean, how many of us have woken up in life and realized that you become that person? <laughs> am, I, am I the only one here, you know? <laughs> it's like wake up one morning and the Holy Ghost says, Grubby, you're that guy. <laughs> oh my God, I am. Okay. Okay, ask him to show you. Make a list. Maybe journal on it, you know. Don't make a list of bad stuff you've done. Make a list of what you value to understand who you're becoming. If you're married, discuss it with your spouse. Or or maybe, if you're not, do a 360 eval with a couple of friends or confidants. Because this is a great season right now. And this is a great series of teaching we're going through where we can discover... we are becoming. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I just pray for all of us online, Mukunji here. Would you give us a dispensation in the last quarter of this year to really come to grips to what we value, who we are and who we will be so that we can value who you are and who you would have us to be. So we together put our hearts together and release the Holy Spirit over everybody in this congregation, over the other congregations. and We look forward, God, to coming out of this pestilence refreshed and renewed rather than disappointed in the way in which we've conducted ourselves. And we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen.